0: When you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A N G I.com.
1: This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you.
0: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to say for it?
1: Hey guys, welcome back to Thick and Thin with me, Katie Bilotti. And today on the podcast, we are spilling some tea. We are talking about some tea from past and present, or I guess more so talking about the act of spilling tea, not necessarily the tea itself, but you know, why do we care so much? Why are we obsessed with gossip, with drama, with rumors? And honestly, you know, what did it for me, what really was the tip of the iceberg in terms of inspiration for today's episode was the Free Britney documentary, among some other documentaries that have come out recently, uh, you know, about famous people and just kind of documenting the, the fascination that so many people have with gossip, with rumors, conspiracies, you know, the fascination with knowing, just knowing in general, knowing things, knowing You know, what the inner workings of other people's lives, why are we so obsessed? Why is social media such a big thing? What is the psychology behind gossip? Why do humans with this illicit information feel powerful? And why do others without the information crave details about, you know, people's dirty laundry? Why do we care? Has it always been this way? And based on what we know about history, yes, it has kind of always been this way. One prime example of how rumors and gossip has ruined people in the past can be seen in the Salem witch trials, which we'll talk about in a minute. I've been dying to talk about the Salem witch trials at some point on the podcast. And this episode just works, it works, and there's so much that we don't know about the Salem Witch Trials or things that in school we just didn't really get into and that I really want to talk about today on the podcast. So stay tuned for that, but after that I'll be discussing the psychology surrounding rumors and gossip. Why do we really have an obsession with it all and can gossip actually be a good thing? So to dive headfirst into our story, we are going back in time to the year 1692 in the quiet Puritan settlement of Salem, Massachusetts, which I found is actually called Danvers, Massachusetts today. So it's not called Salem anymore. There is a Salem, Massachusetts, obviously, but it's not in the exact place where this all happened. And so for context, at the time of our story, the entire town of Salem would fit into a modern-day baseball stadium. So not so huge, honestly, very close-knit. And so what is now known as the Salem Witch Trials, which many of us are pretty familiar with just from history class and things like that, was the largest witch hunt in American history. Between June of 1692 and May of 1693, so less than one calendar year, more than 200 people were accused of practicing witchcraft in Salem, and about 20 were executed for their supposed crimes it only took about a year for things to return to normal in salem which is actually kind of shocking to me i feel like for whatever reason from when i learned it in history class it like just seemed like it you know it lasted for much longer and it's possible that i thought that because it just spread to all parts of the world people were fascinated with you know witches and uh, witchery and hexes and all the things and that gave birth to a lot of the, the pop culture things we have today and the, the movies and the TV shows and all the things. But, you know, the theories behind how such a thing could exist in the first place, you know, why did this happen? How did this happen? How did it begin? You know, so much to think about now, all these years later. And honestly, the whole thing to me bears, you know, striking resemblance to how really any he said, she said drama, finger pointing sort of narrative that we have today happens to begin with. It's, you know, a lot of speculation, a lot of people thinking that they have information or wanting to have information and spreading it and, you know, things like that. So there's some psychological reasons for these things. There's some that actually have to do with more natural reasons. Like, you know, did this all happen because of a cold front? There's so much that I have to share about the Salem Witch Trials. So let's dive on into it. So to give some context of, you know, the time period, so what time period are we kind of talking about? It's the 1690s, like what exactly does that mean for the state of the world? And, you know, I also kind of as a side note, think that a lot of times in history class when we covered the Salem Witch Trials, I feel like personally speaking, it was really only like a half-day lecture in one of my history classes, you know, I don't even know, in like seventh grade or something like that. And the reason for that is because I believe there's just a lot more things that were going on in the world at the time that were more important, like wars and colony drama. There was the French and Indian War and, you know, the colonies, there's a lot of stuff going on there with, you know, inter-colony drama And the invention of the clarinet in Germany, I found that also happened in 1690s. So there's a lot going on in this time period. And the trials themselves, you know, Salem witch trials only lasted less than a year. So in the grand scheme of history, it wasn't really, it was kind of a blip on the radar, you know, but still so important to talk about and really set the foundation for modern day trials, modern day Also drama, speculation, gossip, things like that. There's a lot to talk about because of this. So anyway, into the story. It's early 1692 and a nine-year-old girl named Betty Paris and her 11-year-old cousin, Abigail Williams, started acting a bit out of character. Even for two young girls who would have likely spent their days playing make-believe and, you know, pretend and playing with dolls and all the things that young girls are supposed to do... But they were acting a bit strange. They were hiding under furniture. They were randomly crying out in pain and sometimes even barked like dogs, according to reports from the time. The girls claimed it felt like they were being stabbed with fine needles. Their skin was burning. One disappeared halfway down a well, apparently, at one point, And their screams could be heard from all throughout the town. So something was up with these girls and no one could figure out what Samuel Paris, the father of Betty, called for a physician to look at the girls, and the doctor found nothing physically wrong with them, so it was then decided that the girls had clearly been bewitched, because naturally, that is what you assume, you know, when someone has perfect vitals, but barks like a dog, they're bewitched. So, from there, it was kind of a snowball effect. More girls from town began to experience symptoms of being bewitched. Some interrupted church sermons with their screaming episodes, and some became totally mute. Some felt their throats were being choked, their limbs being racked, whatever that means. And soon, the 12-year-old daughter of a close friend of Betty's began to also shudder and choke. And then, from there, so did the village doctor's niece, The niece claimed that a creature had followed her home from an errand in town, trudging behind her in the snow, and looking back she realized that it could not have been a wolf, it had to have been a witch. So the symptoms spread all throughout town, at first just within the Salem community, but eventually spread to outside and distant towns as well. And basically what happened, you know, when a girl came down with these symptoms, they almost always had someone to blame. They pointed a finger at someone in town who enchanted them. And in total, the girls blamed about 15 women, about five men, and even two dogs for the reason behind they were acting this way. You know, they were clearly enchanted by witches, and these 15 women, 5 men, 2 dogs were all involved. And many of the women accused were said to have had, you know, these interesting behaviors beforehand. The women, as in, like, the ones that were accused as being witches, they, you know, challenged the norms of the community. Many were opinionated and forthright, while some had bad reputations due to their unladylike behavior, like, adultery or you know I even read something where one had moved in with their second husband a few days before the wedding or something which apparently was against the rules you know according to biography.com many of the women were like this and so they were easy targets and many of the men who stood trial for their involvement had simply just tried to stand up for the women accused a lot of them or they were also sketchy themselves Or they just spoke out on how unfair the trials were. And overall, the ways that people determined a person to be a witch was just so crazy looking back. So one of the reasons um, that someone could be named a witch or just kind of confirmed that they're a witch was if they had any sort of marks on their body. A devil's mark... So a freckle or a mole or anything like that on certain, you know, body parts would declare basically, oh, this person's a witch. Also, if the person struggled to recite the Lord's Prayer, which, I mean, if you have a speech impediment or if you just have a bad memory and can't recite the Lord's Prayer, you know, on display in front of thousands of people or however many people... Like, that was another reason as far as someone could assume you're a witch. So things like that, a lot of very biblical things, you know, the Lord's Prayer being super biblical. And apparently someone associated with the devil could not recite the Lord's Prayer or something. Like, somehow it was, you know, barred from their speech. And so one man that was actually hung for being a witch, um, as he was being hung, like, as he, you know, the, the breath was leaving his body, he was fully reciting the Lord's Prayer and people in the stands or looking on were like, maybe we made a mistake with that one. Also, people could testify. So in court, when you got to court, which I'll get to that in a second, but people could claim that, you know, oh, like this person came to me in a dream and they said this. And so it was all like this hearsay sort of suits where, you know, people could declare like, oh, this person's a witch because I heard, you know, they were in my dream last night and they told me to do this illegal thing or they flew in my dream or something so dreams were basis for witchery uh, for declaring a person to be a witch so all this stuff wrapped into one basically convicted a ton of innocent people in the 1690s
0: you can host the best backyard barbecue when you find a professional on angie to make your backyard the best around Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. When you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's angi.com. icom
1: And so the blamed people were forced to stand trial in front of basically the whole town. They, there was a, a jury of people put together from the town, something like that, you know. And if they were decided to be guilty, they were named witches and they were chained to the walls in a prison basement infested with rats known as the witch jail. A witch was a person who, quote, wickedly, maliciously, and feloniously engaged in sorcery, according to an article in The New Yorker, and the youngest witch at this time was five years old, and the oldest was nearly 80. If any man or woman be a witch that is, has, or consults with a familiar spirit, they shall be put to death, read the Massachusetts body of laws at the time. Many of those who stood on trial realized, though, that they were in a losing game. So instead of promising and pleading with onlookers that they were innocent, they wove elaborate tales. Anne Foster, a 72-year-old widow from neighboring Andover, said the devil had appeared to her as an exotic bird. He promised prosperity along with the gift of afflicting at a glance, and she had bewitched several children, she claims, and a hog once you were accused it was basically impossible to declare your innocence and when i was you know writing this as part of my little script for this episode i was like wow you know that sounds kind of familiar you know even in modern times one person claiming something of you spreading a rumor it's kind of hard you know it's hard to dispel these things sometimes and i know personally from you know my experience in high school and even in college rumors flying and people becoming just so attached to the rumor and they just can't get themselves it's like when you walk out of a bathroom and you've like a piece of toilet paper stuck to your shoe it's like the rumor just follows you even if it isn't true it's like red wine you know red wine stain on a a white sofa or something like that it's just really tough to dispel so you know once you were accused of witchery witchcraft it was pretty impossible to declare your innocence And apparently the word of two ministers, which ministers were like the highest regard in the area of the time, even the word of two ministers, you know, backing up your innocence, could not save an accused person, apparently. Neither age, fortune, gender, nor church membership offered immunity, says the New Yorker. And so naturally this caused fear, panic, hysteria to spread throughout the town. People were terrified that they might be next to be named as a witch. So rumors flew, gossip between townspeople about who was definitely a witch and who wasn't a witch. People braced themselves for knocks at their doors. And something interesting that I learned actually about Salem witches. So when Salem witches were punished for their crimes, they weren't actually burnt at the stake. I always thought that all witches were either burnt at the stake or thrown into a body of water with weights on their ankles and things like that but from what i read a few different accounts about the salem witch trials that really only happened in europe and for context you know it was way before salem witch trials that these things were happening over in europe in germany i found a source that said that over a hundred witches were executed in just one day in germany during their version of the witch trials so This all, you know, Salem pales in comparison. But in Salem, most witches were hung and others died in witch jails underground before they even made it to their execution. They were, you know, I don't know, died from various illnesses just being underground in this wet cell with rats running around everywhere. And so finally, the witch trials came to an end in 1693 when the governor of the colony's own wife, was accused of witchcraft, and so he ordered an end to the trials, and that was that, although the rumors continue to swirl about witches for decades. So after this little refresher on the Salem witch trials, one big question remains, at least in my mind, what was really wrong with the girls, the girls who started the whole thing? Betty and her cousin, you know, claiming to be bewitched and having all these symptoms. Were they faking it? Was this a bandwagon fake illness situation or was something actually really wrong with them here's what i found okay so i found this article that i'll have linked in the show notes that offers a few possible reasons for the girls illnesses that are actually pretty legit so the first one would be ptsd so the native american wars may have contributed to the girls hysteria Since one of the brutal battles known as King Philip's War took place in the 1670s, not long before all this unfolded, and the front lines of the battle weren't far from Salem. And according to a source, some of the afflicted girls involved in this whole thing, who accused women of bewitching them, witnessed some of the earlier raids. So PTSD might have contributed to their strange behavior. Second concept could be boredom. So some theorize that the girls may have been acting like this because of sheer boredom or because they were frightened by a fortune-telling game that they learned due to boredom. In Salem at the time, children were actually restricted from basically all forms of play, which is absolutely crazy. They were expected to spend most of their time doing chores, studying the Bible, those things. And so this made for some very bored children, and this boredom may help to explain why Betty and Abigail became so obsessed with learning how to fortune tell, which has you know superstitious, spooky roots, and this might contribute to the way that they were acting. You know, it Could have been a part of a game they were playing out of boredom, or maybe they truly started to believe these superstitious, weird things due to fortune telling, which is a game they were playing as kids. So that is the second theory. Third could actually be cold weather. Harvard graduate Emily Oster, who graduated and wrote this paper in 2004, suggested in her senior thesis that cold weather could be to blame. Apparently, the most active era of witchcraft trials coincided with a 400 year period of lower than average temperatures. She said in her paper that this period of lower than average temperature, like I just said, was known to climate climatologists, talk about a word, climatologists, as the Little Ice Age. And so this time period, this you know cold front, or coldness, I guess it was a general coldness, resulted in crop failure and other patterns of nature that would stress out a lot of townspeople. Oster concluded in her paper that people would have searched for a scapegoat in the face of deadly changes in weather patterns. And so the scapegoats, or the scapegoats, I suppose, were the witches. The year 1692, when the trials began, actually fell right in the middle of a 50-year-long cold spell from 1680 to 1730. And also, many people at the time believed that witches were able to control the weather and destroy crops and so Clearly it was easier to blame witches than nature and weather after all. And so the fourth reason, uh, the 1970s actually gave birth to this theory that maybe hallucinogenic fungi could have been the cause for their hysteria. It's called ergo and it's sometimes used to make LSD. And as we just discussed, uh, the weather in Salem during this time period, during the winter, specifically of 1691 to 1692, was apparently perfect for ergo to grow, perfect conditions. And so studies also on ergo poisoning have found that children are the most susceptible to its effects, and all of the symptoms of ergo poisoning are seen in the two girls, You know what they claim to be their symptoms, so it's possible And so that was number four. Number five, finally, another source that I found says that mass conversion disorder might be to blame. I'd never heard of this before, but conversion disorder is normally caused by some sort of extreme stress, emotional trauma, depression. So literally any number of the above statements or or reasons I just listed could have contributed to conversion disorder in the girls. And so this condition is basically where you have physical symptoms of a health problem, but no injury or illness no actual you know, vitals that prove that you have this or that explain why you feel this way. And so according to a HuffPost article, those who have conversion disorder are convinced that their physical symptoms are true and their suffering is genuine. They aren't faking it, but due to stress, trauma, depression, all of these things, they're experiencing physical symptoms of something that doesn't actually exist in their bodies. It's really psychological apparently, which is just so interesting so I suppose we'll actually, you know, never truly know what caused the girls' hysteria and ultimately the deaths of innocent people in Salem. But something I do know is this. The town of Salem was a buzz in 1692, rumors and gossip galore. So let's talk about the psychology behind these things or kind of, you know, what exactly is a rumor? What exactly is gossip? Where do they come from? Why do we do it? Why do we spread them? So I found this article published by the American Psychological Association, which is actually the article itself is actually simultaneously both interesting and hilarious at the same time that there's an actual legitimate paper on (laughs) gossip and drama and uh, rumors and things. It's just so funny to me. But here is how in the paper, this is how they describe rumors in a super smart sounding way. Rumors have been described as public communications that are infused with private hypotheses about how the world works, or more specifically, ways of making sense to help us cope with our anxieties and our uncertainties. So, they're described as public communications that are infused with private hypotheses. I don't think I've ever heard a more accurate description of what a rumor is, because I mean, I think in in some situations there's more private hypothesis than others. Um, and they also say in the article that rumors and gossip are two different things. And so the article says, More than rumor, gossip tends to have an inner circle about it, in that it's customarily passed between people who have a common history or shared interests, so like a friend group. Popular usage defines gossip as, quote, small talk or idle talk. But gossip is hardly inconsequential or without purpose." And this is where it gets interesting. It has been theorized that gossip played a fundamental role in the evolution of human intelligence and social life and that it continues to play an active role in cultural learning and as a source of social comparison information. Social comparison information. I've never heard that phrase before, but it's so true. And I just find it so crazy also that evolution, you know, the the way that we have evolved as a human species, as a human race, happened because of rumors and gossip. And if I guess if you think about it, you know, back in the Stone Ages and like how, you know, people learn anything, how things, information is passed, is you know, almost always through rumors and through gossip. You know, I'm I'm picturing in the Salem witch trials, women in aprons holding their babies, whispering to each other about, you know, who's definitely a witch, like, oh that woman two doors down, she's definitely a witch. Did this help us evolve though? It's so interesting. And according to NBC, another article I found, gossiping is technically a social skill. In order to survive and you know carry on your line, your genes, it has pretty much always been necessary to know at least about the lives of those around you and how else you find out about the lives of those around you if not gossip. Gossip is basically defined as being talking about a person or people without them being present. So you can also kind of think about nightly news as being gossip, Instagram accounts that we follow for various information, gossip. Even this podcast sometimes, I guess, could be gossip because I'm talking about people that aren't here while I'm telling the story, and so, you know, it is my my interpretation and so therefore I guess it could be gossip. It's so interesting that gossip is just a much more broad word than I ever thought and when I think gossip nowadays you know the first thing that pops into my head is Bridgerton. One of my favorite shows as you guys know I talked about it at length a few episodes ago. I just finished the series and I just loved it and so did like all of America it was like number one on Netflix for so long we loved Bridgerton and that show the whole premise of the show was really revolving around you know drama gossip lady whistledown writing about the affairs of people and this like this tabloid of sorts that came out every so often and would just you know expose people And I've seen the whole show, well, the whole first season, so I'm not going to, you know, say what happens at the end, but all of us that have seen it know that, you know, oftentimes it's always just, you know, a person that just decides to spin the tales and that is very observant and knows and just tells it how it is, I guess, but in a way that is in their, their words. So it's still gossip, it's still speculation to a certain extent, you know? So Bridgerton was huge with gossip and all that stuff. And if you think about it, I mean... You know, I read that thing about how it was part of evolution and, and such and it's kind of true. It's a social evolution. It's a way that we for years, for centuries, have learned about what is right and what is wrong and what is good and what is bad and what is lucrative and what is gonna end us up in poverty. In Bridgerton, for example, it's you know, that whole show is kind of about marriage and about uh, you know, uniting families and the castes of, you know, who is good to marry and that whole that's kind of the big drama for the first season of Bridgerton is like oh like who is Daphne going to marry or who is so and so because they're in debt and they need money and they need to marry and do good family and all those things and how else do you hear about these things and figure out who is who and who becomes popular in any time without a bit of speculation a bit of drama a bit of did you hear and gossip you know gossip can be a good thing isn't that crazy? Gossip can be used for good. It can be used to inform and to make the world a better place and to make families stronger. And it's so crazy, though, how it's such a double-edged sword. It's like, you know, it's a good thing, and yet it's still such a horrible thing. There is a hugely blurry line between good and evil in the situation regarding gossip and rumors, you know, because like I said, you can consider the nightly news gossip, and yet There are so many different networks. There's networks that skew one way or another way, at least here in the U.S., and I'm sure also in other places. I haven't really explored the news in other places, but I'm assuming it makes a horrible journalist out of me. I'm not even a journalist, but, you know, I studied journalism for one full year at Elon University freshman year before discarding it for social media. That's what I do now. But if you think about it, journalism, social media, not a far cry from one another because a lot of social media is also based on speculation, based on he said, she said, and although you might ethically report on something or ethically post something on social media with all of your I's dotted and your T's crossed and, like, the the source is all there, and yet when you are writing this article, the other person is not there, you know, for the most part. If you're writing about someone, fact-checking you, every word you write, and so to a certain extent you know, aside from some crazy publicists and things like that, but to a certain extent, when you are speaking about another person or write, writing in any capacity about another person, it's gossip because they are not presently there. And I want to read that quote again from that one article um, from the American Psychological Association. You know, more than rumor, gossip tends to have an inner circleness about it, and it's customarily passed between people who have a common history, shared interests, and, you know, although it could be defined as being small talk or idle talk, gossip is hardly inconsequential or without purpose. Gossip is very purposeful, I think. I don't think it's just because people are standing around. I think a lot of it, I mean, maybe sometimes, sure, but I think a lot of it is purposeful. I think people gossip because, you know, I, I've my mom has told me this for years growing up. You know, people speak badly, you know, hurt people hurt people. People that gossip are typically, it's coming from a place where they're hurting or they somehow want to be elevated by this, by by pushing someone else down, they want to be elevated. And when I was the subject of a ton of, of gossip and drama in high school, this is what I always considered. I never thought though that gossip could be a good thing. And so This research I've done for this episode has really kind of transformed my thinking on this. I still think, for the most part, gossip is bad. (laughs) I think, for the most part, gossip is done not from a great place in terms of socially. Okay, maybe not talking about the news, more so talking about social things like things you know happenings in the neighborhood and college, you know, fraternity sorority talk. I feel like a lot of it is is consequential. You know, like that article said, it's. It is hardly inconsequential, meaning it is very consequential. There are consequences to gossip because a lot of times people will find the source. People will trace the source uh, back to a person and you will be questioned for, you know. I feel like everyone's been in the position where they're like, they find out that someone has been talking about them, they figure out who the person was, and they feel very compelled to be like, hey, what gives? Why why'd you do that? You know? And people always have a reason, right? But at the end of the day, I think a lot of people gossip just because they are bored. Or they just they want someone else to hurt the way they're hurting. I don't know. It's my personal opinion. That's not psychological is my personal opinion. Um, but yeah, so rumors can ruin lives. But when proven true, a lot of times rumors can reform and rumors are spread through gossip, obviously. It's kind of like a linked sort of affair. Uh, Rumors can bring forth change, but a lot of times rumors also aren't true. And so, yeah. I wonder how different the Salem Witch Trials would have looked if people weren't so quick to speculate, circulate rumors, gossip, and maybe consider some other options for why the girls were acting this way. And maybe if the girls didn't point fingers to these people in town, that maybe were a little bit different. A lot of things could have been different, maybe, you know, these 22, 20 humans, two dogs, the poor dogs, oh my gosh, like, not to mention the poor freaking dogs that were put to death over this, like, how on earth were the dogs? I don't know, but the 20 people, human lives that were ended because of this like you know who knows what they would have gone on to do and discover and invent and like maybe these people are quirky by means of what society thought at the time to be normal maybe they were a little bit loud a little bit different like I can think of a lot of women that I know and admire in today's times that probably would have been considered a witch and are considered (laughs) a witch by many members of politics today and so we always just got to think of like If people just gave others the benefit of the doubt every once in a while, or maybe just thought of them as not weird, but just different, the world would be a better place. So that is my episode, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this trip back in time to talk about the Salem witch trials, the real reasons that they might have occurred, and just talking a bit more about these unnecessarily killed men and women, mostly women, some dogs, so sad, I can't get over the dogs, Um, And just how, how messed up it was, but also how it relates to gossip and rumors and how gossip can be good, gossip can be very bad, and there's always consequences. So that was my spiel for today's episode of Thick and Thin, but at the end of the episode, here we are. I do want to talk about a few more things, well like kind of one thing that's really just frustrated me, and it's unrelated. Actually, honestly, it might be a little bit related to the gossip rumors element of this whole spiel. But something happened to me today that I was extremely upset about, and I want to talk about it a little bit at the end of the episode. So I mean, it's not like anything too crazy, like don't get scared for me or anything. It's just like something annoying that happened. So basically, I started to really love this show that I was watching on Netflix, and it was called Jenny in Georgia. You probably have heard about it uh, by now. I think it's number one on Netflix right now. It's a really good show. Like, I really loved it. The the whole, like, just theme of it, I liked that it was kind of, you know, there's, like, something going on that's kind of spooky and you don't really know or, like, something happened and, like, but it's also super relatable and funny and, I mean, I will say some of the, like, typical high school parts of it are just, like, so inaccurate and, like, no high schooler would be caught dead saying half of those things or doing half of those things, but it's still fun. I, like, you know, liked watching it. It's, like, a good, upbeat kind of show And, you know, really does boost confidence. Like a lot of the undertones are very much rooted in, um, you know, self-confidence and overall just the, the real truth of what high schoolers go through in terms of body image and comparing themselves and dealing with sex and relationships and things like that. And there's also a lot of, you know, racial undertones of like discrimination and things like that. And so I really liked the show. That was until I went on Twitter this morning and saw Taylor Swift's tweet. So I was only on episode three of the show. So I didn't get to the point where apparently I think it's like the last episode or one of the last episodes in the show where they totally throw Taylor under the bus and are like, um, basically, Jenny, the daughter, is saying to her mom, Georgia, um, you go through men faster than Taylor Swift or something like that. It's just one line, but just so out of line. Like... That joke has been used by so many for so long, and I mean Taylor is like beyond that point in her life. First of all, she's only been with Joe since you know for years now. But also, it's just so it's just in poor taste because if a guy, like, I don't, you know, I'm just gonna say it. If a guy, if a man, you know, I don't know. Think Leonardo DiCaprio or someone that does go through a lot of women, especially underage women. You know, would never be thrown under the bus in that sort of sense, like in a show. And so it was just kind of disappointing to hear that they get to that point in the show because I'm not there yet. And it just pissed me off because I'm like, I was watching this show. I really enjoyed it. And now I just feel like I can't even enjoy it because I know that they throw Taylor under the bus in it. And I really, I appreciate Taylor. I think she's given a lot of flack for many things throughout, you know, just various things like, you know, for her music, but then also for how she is and how she acts and who she, you know, dates and things like that. She's just... She's just been the subject of so much gossip and drama over the years. And it's just sad to see that Netflix, the company that supported her, that ran her documentary, Miss Americana, that ran her stadium tour for a reputation, like that one as well, like she has a bunch of representation on there. And it's just sad to see that this show was allowed to air with this this line that just didn't even need to be there. It wasn't, like, essential to the plot at all. It was just somehow, like, woven in there. Like, why? Just why is that necessary? And I don't think it's the first time this has happened either. I feel like Taylor is always kind of, like, you know, sometimes it's funny and it's actually benefiting her like there's a few shows I've seen where they're like oh like you're as talented as or you know it's more so like relating her to something positive whereas this one was just so negative and out of line and so I'm just pissed for her also and I think I don't know if it's happened yet I didn't actually check but if um she took Miss Americana off of Netflix or not I I can't remember if I dreamed that or if it actually happened but anyway my fellow Taylor Swift uh respecters out there I don't like calling myself a swifty I don't really love that but you know I really respect and I love her and you guys know that I freak out whenever she does anything basically um I'm just sad that that had to happen because otherwise I really like the show and I think honestly Taylor probably would have liked the show as well if if not for that I think that just the overall the way that it's it's shown it's very diverse it's just like a good finally a good representation of high school in the sense that it's like maybe not fully accurate but like mostly and it's funny and it's confident and spunky and great and yet they had to they had to do that they just had to go and do it anyway so those are my two cents on that whole thing um I just I'm beside myself because I really liked the show. So if you guys have any show recommendations for me now that I've finished Imposters, as you guys know, I was upset over that and now I'm upset over this. Like I clearly need a new show to distract me. So please shoot me a DM over on Instagram with some shows you recommend for me because I clearly need a change of pace. So yeah, that is my episode guys and my mini rant about Ginny and Georgia and Taylor Swift. So hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Thick and Thin and I will talk to you guys all next week. Bye.